Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your hosts, Rick Lawrence and Becky Hodges, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Well, hi, listeners. This is Season 3, Episode 3, brought to you by Lifetree at JesusCenteredLife.com. Season 3, Episode 3. Is there some kind of convergent energy that happens when you're the, the season is the same as the episode, Becky? The Becky I don't know. Is there some, like, maybe it's the, the number 33 that's special, not 3 oh, and that's 3. Per, 3 that's plus per, 3 equals 6, though. No, well, don't go there. But, but 33 is purportedly the age of Jesus when he was crucified. Oh. So, he was so 30, this is a holy episode. Well, if you want to be goofy about it in a long roundabout way like we have just been. Uh-huh. But, uh, please well, don't stop listening to us. Yeah, please don't. So my name is Rick Lawrence, and that other voice you heard there is the Becky Nader. Her, her name is Becky Hodges, but we like to call her the Becky Nader because she gets things done. Hi. There she is. I'm uh, author of The Jesus-Centered Life, which many of you are regular listeners are readers of, and sometimes multiple readers of. Thank you for that. Um, I'm with you. You know, when you read a book and you want to read it again, it means that you're, you have a, sort of a kindred connection to the person who wrote that book. And so even if we've never met, if that's you, then we have a kindred connection. There's something in us both that really responds to the heart of Jesus in the way that I tried to lay out in that book. So anyway, I'm, I'm also the general editor of the Jesus-Centered Bible, and many of you have that as well, and uh, we hear often how that reading the Jesus-Centered Bible has really transformed your everyday relationship with Jesus because it really does help to orbit around his person and his heart when you read this Bible with special features in it. So we'll put, be sure to put a link to both of these things uh, on this episode. Um, shout out to all the pigs, all, by the way, who started the New Year strong and are doing the Jesus-centered Bible reading plan. Pigs? Uh, what are you talking about? Pigs? pigs? Oh, the pigs is our private Facebook group where we oh, those pigs. hang out mm-hmm. with uh, people who are all in for Jesus. You can find out more about why we're called the pigs in chapter five of Jesus in our life. But they did start the Jesus Center Bible reading plan together at the beginning of the new year, and they post a lot of um, stuff that they're learning through, through reading through the Bible that way. So if you want to do that, it's not too late. That's great. And, and you know, that's a community for people who are kindred spirits. And I was just talking about how we find out we're kindred, kindred spirits. This community is where you go to find others who um, have a similar passion for Jesus and are, have made a declaration. Like uh, one of the uh, people that I had not yet seen posted on the Pigs page before, uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head right now, but uh, last week he posted his declaration and put a picture of the Bible and the book there and said, I'm all in. And I love that. I, I yep. love that kind of declaration. And if that's you too, whether or not you feel like you're all in with Jesus or not, which among of us really feels like we're all the way there, but that is the cry of your heart. If that's you, then the pig's page is your place. It's your community. So last week we explored in, in this new year where we're surrounded in a, in a sea of resolutions and restarts and resets, and here's what I'm going to do this year, and it's not going to be like last year. Well, last week we explored what a reset in our life looks like when it's really grounded in an intimate relationship with Jesus, not just our own willful determination to improve our lives. So we had a great exploration of what it means to really reset our lives through the story of the woman who showed up at the private Pharisee party 
and cried on Jesus' feet and washed his feet with her hair and anointed him with expensive perfume. Talk about a woman who needed a reset. She was a prostitute showing up at a, a party she should never have been at. So we explored what a reset looks like when its primary focus is to attach more deeply and intimately to Jesus, with the fruit of that becoming a reset in our lives. So we explored that at length in episode two, so if you didn't hear that one, go back and listen to that one. Um, But we're going to continue this exploration this year into uh, this uh, area of our life that I'm calling Spiritual Grit. So I wrote this book that's coming out in April called Spiritual Grit. The tagline is, A Journey into Endurance, Character, Confidence, and Hope. And it's really uh, our pathway into strength. What grows our core strength as as people? And, And the premise of the book is that our own latent core strength is more like a shallow bucket than a deep well. We quickly run out of perseverance, strength, and resilience. So where does that come from? It comes from having a passion for something higher than ourselves that leads to a deeper, more intimate attachment to Jesus. And when that happens, we get his reserves of strength. We get his deeper well of resolve. So uh, we're going to be exploring all this year in one way or another. How does this show up in our lives? And and we're going to explore it from many, many different facets. And today is going to be a, a fascinating one. We're going to take a deeper dive into an encounter Jesus has with a man we know we don't know his name. We only know him by a, a kind of a broad label. He, he's he's called in Scripture the rich young ruler. Now, on the past episodes of the podcast, we have delved into this story before, but today we're going to delve into it in a way we we never have before. So, the the rich young ruler. I'll I'll read this story in just a second. But what we're going to do is that we're going to explore this story in light of what spiritual grit is all about. In light of what it means to lean into hard things, or to lean away from hard things. This story has both of those things in it. So let me just start off and read you the story. It's uh, from Matthew chapter 7. It actually, in Spiritual Grit, the book coming out in April, every one of the chapters begins with a story, an encounter that Jesus has with someone, where he is purposefully building grit into their lives. Jesus is fascinating in the way that he grows strength in people. He never passes by an opportunity to do that. Even with needy people who are just coming to him for help, he does not pass by the opportunity to build strength in them. So every one of the chapters of this book opens with an interesting engagement Jesus has with someone where he is building their grit. And this story opens chapter 3 in the book. Chapter 3 is called Finding the Good in Hard. So let me just read you this this encounter Jesus has with this rich young man, and then we'll go from there. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, "'Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life?' "'Well, why do you call me good?' Jesus asked. "'Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments.' You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, honor your father and mother. Well, teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all of these commandments since I was young. Well, looking at the man, Jesus felt a genuine love for him. Well, there is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. Well, at this, 
the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Well, this amazed them. But Jesus said again, Dear children, it's very hard to enter into the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were now astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. And Jesus looked at them intently and said, Well, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But not with God. Everything is possible with God. Again, that's Mark 10, 17 through 27. So here we have a young man, an earnest young man, a dedicated young man, a goal-setting young man. He just wants to know what the next thing he has to do to get to the place he wants to be. Talk about reset and talk about a growth plan for your year. This guy is on it. He runs up to Jesus and asks him, what else can I do? Knowing already in his back pocket he's got all of this long list of things he's already done. It's interesting, though, that even though he has a long list of things he's already done, and he's unbelievably says he's kept all of the commandments so far, it's still not enough for this guy. He still doesn't feel like he's arrived somehow, like he's missing something, like there's one more goal he has to hit, one more target to hit. So this story is heartbreaking as well, because we get buried in the middle of it that this explicit statement that Jesus genuinely loved this guy. We don't find that kind of statement very often in the Gospels. It doesn't mean that Jesus didn't love the people he was with, but when the Scripture says goes out of its way to say Jesus had a genuine love for him, it's asking us to pay attention to that. And then immediately after this sense that Jesus had a genuine love for him, he says, well, there is still one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give it all to the poor and, and follow me. And of course, the, the young man can't bring himself to do this. It's just too big, too painful, too hard to even imagine what Jesus is asking him to do, and he goes away crestfallen and probably brokenhearted. And that's where we think the story ends. That's the end of it. So the guy asks Jesus, Jesus tells him what to do, he's not able to do it, he says no one walks away, that's it for him. But I wanna, we want to suggest today that that's not the end of his story, and that there's a reason that this story includes Jesus saying, uh, Jesus having a genuine love for this man, and the fact that he walks away after he says no is not the end of this man's story. Now, we don't know what the rest of this man's story is, but today we're, we're going to explore what likely happened after this encounter. We're going to creatively explore that, and we're going to do it in a way that I think is the most honest way we can. Becky and I are going to do it by exploring our own stories, our own stories of when we've said no to God, or He's invited us into something, and the, the idea of the pain of it was just too much for us to, to handle. We couldn't drink it in, we couldn't really embrace it, we couldn't really pursue it, because it's just too much. That is human. And to think that Jesus was shocked by this young man saying, no, I can't, is ridiculous. Jesus understood exactly what he was asking him to do, and I don't think he was shocked at all that this young man found this too difficult to pursue. He was saddened by it, but 
again, that's not the end of the story. Becky, you have something you want to throw in here? I will say that Rick has been trying to tell this story since we started this podcast. Almost, I can't tell you how many times he'll be like, you know, the rich young ruler, and we end up finding a different story. So it's kind of, I was was thinking it was kind of cool that we finally got to this Here we go. Yeah, I I, I just love the richness of this story. So a couple of things to point out at the very beginning before we dive in, and then Becky's going to tell some of her story right off the bat here. So a couple of things to point out. And Becky, I'd love for your perspective on this as well as we get started here. One of the things this story brings out, uh, I know it's true because my my wife says this, I've I've talked to so many people, when they read a story like this and they think, oh, well, Jesus is asking this guy to give up all of his possessions to follow him, because we think in kind of simple ways most often, we think, oh, what if he asked me to do that? Oh, I can't imagine doing that. He wouldn't ask me. He wouldn't really please ask me. Please don't ask me to oh, do that. Oh, my gosh. And you can... <laughs> please, please don't ask me to do that. And you could kind of fill in the blank. I mean, maybe maybe for you, it's like, well, that wouldn't be such a big deal if he asked me to, to give up my possessions to follow him, but, it, but don't ask me to do that thing. Don't ask me to give up that, or don't ask me to endure that pain. I can endure this pain. I'm ready for that one. But not that pain. It's like uh, uh, I had a relationship with some friends of mine in the neighborhood whose um, young daughter was a good friend of my young daughter, and their daughter uh, got cancer and eventually passed away from it. And one of the things that sort of frightened the Christian community around them is, wow, if God would let this happen to a little girl like this... Mm-hmm. What will, what will he let happen to me? Mm-hmm. And, and who's to say that this sort of thing isn't going to happen to me? And so when we read a story like this, where somebody is asked to give up something to follow Jesus, because we think in simple ways, we think, oh, well, he might ask me to do the same thing, and I can't imagine doing that if that's what happens. One of the things I wanted to throw out right off the bat, though, is after Jesus' resurrection, he's talking with Peter and he's engaging him um, three times. He's asking him, do you love me? And Peter says yes, and, and, and he heightens the engagement with Peter by asking him three times. And after they've dealt with that, they have a more relaxed conversation, and Jesus tells Peter, hey, Peter, that thing that you really wanted to do, you wanted to die for me, it's going to happen. It, that's in your future. You're going to die for me. And Peter's taking this in, and in the midst of it, he does what we do. He sees John walking behind them, and he looks back, and, he, and then he looks at Jesus, and he says, well, what about John? Is John, is John going to die too? And Jesus' response to him is, well, Peter, John's story has nothing to do with your story. And it's none of your business. And it's none of your—that's that's sort of the, the pregnant pause that's hanging in the air. It's none of your business. But nevertheless, we have this default setting that says, if it happens to somebody, it must mean it's going to happen to me, or it potentially happened to me. We conflate our stories with, with each other, and, and that's just not a path that Jesus wants us to go down. I know it seems like it, it makes perfect common sense for us to compare our story to whatever Jesus asks somebody, but Jesus, remember, goes after the ones, not the 99s. He leaves the 99 sheep on the hill to go after the one. He's not relating to us as if we're in a crowd. He's relating to us as individuals. And that means the things he chooses to do in my individual story have no bearing on what he's choosing to do in your individual story. So that's one thing to get kind of out on the table. And then the second thing is just to state the obvious, that 
it's human to recoil from pain. We're actually hardwired by God to avoid pain and recoil from it. In fact, you're not a healthy person if you um, actually enjoy pain. And you mean by saying no. You mean, so the, the, there's two, two yeah. veins of what people are afraid of from this story, and one of them is, dear Lord, please don't ask me to do anything like that. Right. And then the second one is, what if he does ask me to do something like that and I say no? And then what happens? And then what happens? What yeah. if I'm the guy, what if I am the rich young ruler and I walk away from everything that Jesus is offering me and I say no? Yeah, and, and we say no because we're human beings, because it's just too much. We go too quickly with the rich young ruler to a place where we're like, really? We're disappointed in him. We, we think the story is trying to tell us to be disappointed in him, when actually the story is trying to tell us how human he is. Because, of course, a guy like this, who has marked off all the boxes in his life and has set all his goals and reached them, when he hears an unattainable goal to him, the pain must have been excruciating for him. He just couldn't get his mind around it. Well, that's human. We're, we're created by God to recoil from things like this. That's why Jesus, I don't think, was that shocked that that, that happened. And he, he did it because he genuinely loved him. So let's start out by acknowledging that it's human to say no, especially if there's a lot stacked against us. And there's no shame... Let me repeat this. There's no shame in saying no when you're in the midst of your humanness. We'll talk a little bit more about the parable of the two sons that Jesus told at one point and explore this whole idea of uh, the beauty of saying no, <laughs> which sounds funny, but we'll explore that more toward the end. But um, now we're going we're, we're gonna to embrace something that the great Henry Nouwen said, which I, I love that he said this. It's so profoundly true. He said, that which is most personal is most universal. That which is most personal is most universal. What he meant by that is the more personal we get in telling our story, the more likely we are to connect to a wide array of people. We think our story is our story, but actually so many people are living in one way or another in connection to our story. And if we just told our story we'd find more people able to connect to it. So let's dive into that. So, Becky, you've had a journey in your marriage life that I guess it, it would be easy to say before the last few months, it was rocky and difficult, yep. like a lot of marriages are. Yeah, and I've shared about that. You know, if you've been listening to this podcast or the other podcast, They Say Podcast, for any amount of time, we've done marriage episodes, and I have shared that I have had a marriage that has been rocky. I contributed um, anonymously to a, a, one of our devotionals that's called We, um, and it's outrageously committed to my marriage. And I shared some pretty hard stories that were about being outrageously committed to my marriage. And over the course of the last seven years, you know, I've had to deal with some pretty hard things, including adultery and other kinds of emotional abuse. And I have been, I've, it's been a hard road. And if you're married, you probably identify with that. Marriage is a place where Jesus likes to come in and shine light on us. And sometimes that light shines on places that are pretty dark, either for you or for your spouse. And 
you have to live through kind of um, unearthing that darkness and trying to bring it into a place where healing can happen. And so it's been it's been a rocky, especially the last four years have been pretty rocky for um, my marriage. And marriage has a way of surfacing also our desperate dependence on Jesus, because there's no other uh, greater, more intimate context relationally than marriage. That means we have so much more on the line and so much more to lose and so much more pain. That's a possibility. That relationship offers the opportunity for the deepest joys we can experience, but also the deepest pain we can experience. And when you have experienced great pain in marriage, it has a leveraging impact on us, and it can cause us to to close down our vulnerability in every area of our life, because again, none of us in a, in a, who are healthy gravitate to pain. We we want to keep pain at bay if at all possible, and so in our our marriage relationships, if pain is a possibility, we're trying to do everything we can to avoid yeah. whatever that pain might be and avoid the worst case scenario. But one day you woke up to the worst case scenario. Would you like to share a little bit of that? So many of you also know that I have been struggling with infertility for um, just about four years now. And uh, just this July, there was a breakthrough medically for me. And there was a chance for a very simple procedure to happen that would open up the hope of a very tragic portion of my life. And so I was preparing for um, having that procedure and I was spending some time praying and with the Lord and just thanking him. I was actually in a spirit of worship with him and just thanking him for this opportunity for hope to be a possibility again. And I was just listening and I heard the Lord in the most gentle way um, tell me that day that I wasn't going to have a baby Um, And that I was going to get divorced and I was going to have to leave my life um, as I know it. And that there were things um, that were even worse than what I already knew um, that I didn't know. And that he couldn't have his daughter be exposed to that anymore. So naturally, my first reaction was to say, get behind me, Satan. Yes. (laughs) And I started... Just I spent some time kind of revoking the enemy and shutting down my own voice, and then I went back into prayer and I said, "Okay, God, what did I what did I hear wrong? All right, tell me what this is just that's just not true." And I I heard the same exact string of words um, again, and so of course I did what the rich young ruler said did, and I said, "Absolutely not, <laughs> that is not happening." And I went and I had the procedure the next day. Um, And what would happen was as a result of that, the other thing I did is I said, you're going to have to make that. If that's what you really think is going to happen, you're going to have to make that so abundantly clear that I cannot say no to it. I can't. That I, it's impossible for me to walk away. And by the way, Rick Lawrence and Stephanie Hilberry have to confirm it. (laughs) Um, So I threw out a fleece, you know, and um, unfortunately over the course of the next few months, that would all become a true reality. And the the secrets that were hidden would include things like relationships that I didn't know about, a whole other life. There would be criminal activity that I didn't know about. 
and there would be drug use that I didn't know about, and um, that would result in where I am today. And I, I want to just pause here in, in, in you telling your story, and first of all, recognize, obviously, as you're listening to this, this is extraordinarily vulnerable for Becky to share. Um, she's been living this story for many months now, and we made a particular decision today for her to to share this story. Uh, I think it's time for her to share this story. But the vulnerability of this story, even though these are not your circumstances, most likely, these are the circumstances, amazingly, of the rich young ruler and of us in other arenas and other contexts. If you think about this young man standing there realizing what Jesus says he's going to give up in order to follow him, it just seems too impossible, too painful to put his arms around. And when Jesus says it's very difficult for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, I, I know the way that we translate that is a person who has financial riches, but riches really means all of the things you already have. Comforts. Yeah, all of the things that you hold dear and treasure already. And the hopes and dreams. And, and what could be of higher treasured value than the hope that you have to have a child one day and to have a marriage that lasts into old age. And all of these things are some of the deepest treasures we have in life. And to hear that these treasures are going to be given up, I mean, it's humanly not possible for us to say something like, okay, I'll, I'll go quietly then. <laughs> in fact, I don't think Jesus ever assumes we would go quietly. That, we, that the thought that we would lose these tre treasures, we go kicking and screaming. We absolutely, positively don't want that reality with every fiber of our being. And yet there's this, uh, what, I, what I feel like as you've t told and retold this story, Becky, is the sense that there's this foreboding thing hanging out there, like what is going to happen here? And was that really the voice of God that I heard, or was it my voice? We hold out hope, right, that, no, this isn't really going to happen. And if I were in your shoes, I would have done exactly the same thing. Oh, that's just my fear speaking, mm -hmm. or the enemy of God trying to destroy me, or I'm going to stand against that. I don't want that. I'm standing for, for what is most important to me. I think the other thing is that um, this is... This journey has been a really hard one. It's not like as soon as the truth started to come out, I was right there being like, all right, I'm going to accept the full reality of this. It took a lot of time for me to see that I did have to leave everything behind me. And that um, is a, you know, it's a part of the journey that God just kept leading me towards, that he kept making it clearer and clearer so that I didn't have to wonder if I was making the right choice, or, or if I was being too um, severe about the way that I was handling it, but that leaving everything behind, literally leaving everything behind, was the, the only way to go and keep my life um, and be able to be safe and, and be able to be in a place where I could have a life where I trusted people again um, and where I could love people again. So... Yeah. You know, when you first shared with me the revelation of all that had been hidden from you, one of the first things you said, which I thought was so, again, human, and I could have pictured myself saying the same thing, was, I didn't do anything wrong. 
So why should I have to give up potentially my home and my my work and my uh, dreams and my friendships and all of this to find a place of safety for myself? Why should I have to give up all of this? It's completely unfair. Right. You know? And it's and it's a first reaction and it's a human reaction. This isn't fair. But I know that since that moment, you've been on your on a, on a journey to, mm-hmm. to understand what's happening in this story. So why don't you tell a little bit about from that moment when you said this just isn't fair to this place where you're uh, ready to let go of some of what you couldn't imagine letting go of. The story kind of came to a very heightened situation when my husband was arrested in our home on charges of domestic violence. And I was, um, I had met with a a victim's counselor who was giving me input on kind of how I should handle things. And I called Rick in tears because a lot of the the things that they were saying were really life-changing. They were extremely dramatic, life-changing, altering things that they wanted me to do in order to be safe. And I was very upset. And I had a three-hour drive to go stay with um, family and some time to just listen to worship music and hear from God. And and I just really heard from him that this next part of my life was going to be about one thing, um, one thing only, and that was going to be about trust. That that everything had been irrevocably broken in me when it came to trust and that we needed some time to rebuild that um, and that that was actually paramount. It was the most important thing. It didn't that jobs didn't matter, that possessions didn't matter, that any of that was just completely irrelevant to my life, that what we needed was to to rebuild me, that I needed to be able to find the inner Becky again and to to be able to to find a way to to have trust um, in him and that he was going to spend the next year just showing up in pretty dramatic ways, despite leaving all of the comforts of my life behind. And you know, I remember saying to you more than once that that this what what this picture that you got of what your life is is headed toward now is sort of a narrowing of the focus. It's like a funnel going from the wide funnel to the narrow funnel that what he's doing here is he's he's saying for a while for a season this is just going to be about you and me. We're going to clear the decks and get get back to just you and me. And I resonate with that. I've told you that my own story, and I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, that early on in my marriage, uh, because of dysfunction um, threaded through my life and through my wife's life, but primarily mine at the, that time, uh, my wife asked me to leave. And I was we were separated for three months. I lived in other people's homes. I tried to keep it on the down low at work because it was just too painful for me to talk about. The idea that I would be separated and perhaps even divorced early, uh, you know, six years into my marriage was unthinkable to me. In fact, I, I had said to God, this is the worst thing that could happen to me. I'd rather be dead than lose my marriage. And yet here I was in this place where I was felt like I was losing my marriage and I wasn't living at home anymore. And my whole life narrowed from the wide end of the funnel to the narrow end of the funnel. And Jesus did something similar to me. He cleared the decks in my life and said, this is going to be about you and me now, Rick, because there's something that is going to be, that I'm birthing in you that 
means it's just you and me for a while. So that three months, uh, I still remember it so vividly because that the accentuated intimacy and chargedness in my relationship with Jesus was an every-moment reality to me. I was in so much pain that I was constantly dependent on him in a way that we don't usually choose to be. And because of that, he began to remake me. He began to re-identify me. And one of the things that I had pleaded with him about was, please, please just make this all be okay. Make it all work out. And what he very gently but firmly said to me was something similar that he did with you, just in a totally different context. He, he basically said, no, it's not going to be okay. In fact, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But right now, Rick, the circumstances are not my focus. My focus is on your heart. And I'm doing something in your heart that is going to change the rest of your life. So hang in there. And the reason that we hang in there, I mean, it feels like a thread, maybe less than a thread sometimes, but the reason that we do is that we're convinced already of the goodness of his heart and that he's telling a good story. These are the only stories he tells are good, redemptive stories. So if these are the only stories he tells, then how is he going to tell a good and redemptive story in my story? I don't know. I can't see it. I can't see around the bend. And we're not meant to see around the bend. Just in the same way, we're not meant to read the last chapter of a book that ruins the book. Read it chapter by chapter. You're only in chapter three right now. That's essentially what Jesus was trying to say to me. During this season of time, you're in chapter three. Don't jump ahead. I'm telling a good story. Trust the heart of the storyteller. And this is where we're at when we're thrown into the the chaos and pain of these moments. We're thrown into hanging on a thread that his heart is good and that he's telling a good story. And this is where the rich young ruler was left as well. He is loved by Jesus, and he walks away, and we don't know what happens on the other side of this. But I have a guess, and it's the same guess I have with you, Becky, that I have a guess that this man walked away in dissonance, that this encounter was the defining encounter of his life, and something had been exposed in him that he, he didn't know needed to be exposed, and all of a sudden was. And there was something that drew him to Jesus in the first place, and there's something in him that knew in this moment that the heart of Jesus loved him when he said this to him. And I, I believe that there is, because of this experience he had with Jesus and how defining it was for him, that this encounter was like a magnet drawing him back again and again to his choice. I said no. I said no. For what what we know for sure is that the riches that this young man had could not possibly satisfy him, and already has proven not to satisfy him because he approached Jesus in the first place, hoping for the next thing to do to make that dissonance in himself go away. So we know without a doubt that if he continued to just live his life as business as usual, that those riches would not, that would become less and less satisfying to him. And at some point, whether they're taken away from him or whether he rejects them altogether, he recognizes the emptiness of that kind of life. And I believe that this encounter was planted in his soul like a magnet, 
that when he reached the, that place of desolation, wherever it was, that he was drawn back to the heart of Jesus in a way that diminished what he was giving up. And, and it did not seem such a huge thing anymore to give up his life. It didn't seem as daunting as it did when he first had to consider it. Then, by this point, the giving up of his life seemed like the most natural thing to do. And I know that this place in your journey, Becky, um, while it's not the same, you're at a place now where you're, you're, you're remarkably, miraculously saying inside, I'm ready for the next thing. Yeah, I'm excited and exhilarated about what is next for me. And that is not how it started, and it, it, it took a lot to get to a place where I could feel just the peace and the joy and the excitement about where Jesus is leading me in the next um, session of my life, which also means that we don't really know how this is going to continue. Today could be goodbye, or it could be it'll be less times that I see you. We're not really sure how that's going to play out. And so we wanted to tell you because you, you are friends to us. We have been together. This would be our third year. And, um, you're many of you, we know your personal stories and journeys, and you've shared how your life has been transformed along the way with us. And we feel like you're our friends. And so you tell your friends what is going on with you. Um, and you tell your friends goodbye if you have to leave. And as Becky said, we're, we're holding loosely Becky's journey here. So it could be that she continues to, uh, at, at least in the short term, be you know part of this still. And that's you know I hope that that's how this all threads its way. But I I hold it loosely too because what I most want for her is to live into whatever Jesus has for her in this season. That might include being on this podcast still, and it may not. We'll see. Um, so we're going to hold that loosely and just see where Jesus leads. Like everything else in life, it's not our prescriptions of, you know, in our life that give us comfort. It's our, the sense that we are intimately connected to Jesus and are following him. Because no matter what twists and turns he takes us on, we, we trust the story he's telling in us. And so right now we're trusting the story that he's telling in Becky's life. And if that takes her away from this podcast, then, then that is the best good for her. And if it doesn't, hooray. That would be wonderful. I mean, who's going to pick on Rick Lawrence and his, <laughs> by the way, Cranberry Bible? Um, Rick decided in the last two episodes of the new year to switch to bringing a Cranberry Bible to the podcast recordings. That's just a little back. Yeah. Reminds me of my Sunday, sc- Sunday school Bible when I was a kid. I got a red. <laughs> I don't know why they gave all of everyone, yeah. even young boys, a red Bible, but... That was the cool thing. It wasn't a macho This Bible. is cranberry, though. Yeah, so it's, it's not red. Like I'm sorry. It's red. Yeah, that's true. So to loop, uh, have us loop back here to the story that started this all out, the, the story of this rich young man encountering Jesus. So I think what Becky and I want to leave you with with this is that it's human to say no when yes would mean great pain, when yes would mean the very thing that you don't want, and can't imagine uh, in your life. And, and th- there's nothing particularly extraordinary about saying no when those things happen, because we're human beings, and Jesus knows our frame. He understands what this means to us to say yes. 
But there is something, there is life on the other side of our no. He is not stopped by our no. That's, a, that, that's wrong to think about this story, that the, the end of his story is with his no. Jesus doesn't stop genuinely loving him when he's walking away. What he says to his disciples, who are astonished by what he's just asked this man to do, and think about from their perspective, the disciples standing there witnessing this encounter and hearing what Jesus said, they're, they're like, oh my gosh, we've given up everything to follow him, but wow, what if, he, what if he asked for more than that? I mean, what if he asked for the one thing that I can't even imagine giving up? This is now scary to me. Um, so they're entering into their own comparisons. Oh, if he asked him that, what, what's he going to ask me? So they're agitated and astonished and amazed by this whole encounter. And in the end, what they say is, well, if this guy can't enter the kingdom of God because of his riches, then who can? This must be impossible. And Jesus calmly says the truth. Yeah, you're right. This is impossible if you're alone trying to work your way through this. But all things are possible with me. And that really, to kind of loop back to the the whole theme of spiritual grit, the point of spiritual grit is that we, we do great things that require great strength and perseverance through unimaginable odds because we're doing them together with Jesus. We get what he has. We walk into these dark valleys with him, not alone, not with him patting us on the back, cheering us from the sidelines, but intimately connected to him with his life and strength flowing through us. To, to have the strength of Jesus flowing through us means it's the same strength that kept him on the cross when he had complete willpower and volition to get off the cross if he wanted to. That strength kept him on the cross. It's the greatest strength the world has ever known because it redeemed us. And it's this very same strength that we get when we are with him. We get the ability to do the impossible when we are with him. That's what he's offering us. It's such a profound promise he's giving to his disciples and to us. And I, I, I thought we could close by mentioning this parable I mentioned before, the, the parable of the two sons that Jesus tells. It's a simple parable. Um, I close the book Spiritual Grit with this parable because I, I, I think it's, it captures our humanity so well. It's a master asking his two sons to work in his vineyard, and the first son says that he will, but then he never shows up. And then the second son says, no, I'm not going to work in the vineyard. But in between, he feels this dissonance, and he decides to show up and work anyway. And so Jesus asks those who are listening to the parable, which one of the sons did the will of his father? And obviously, it's the one who eventually showed up. But the one who eventually showed up said, no, I'm not going to do this for whatever reason. And uh, think about the reason why Jesus is telling this parable. He's trying to enclose our story in his reality. And even when I, when I say this, this parable, Becky, how does this relate to your own story for you? You know, I, I think that a couple of things come to mind. We are afraid of hard things, and rightfully so, because hard things are hard. <laughs> but I always think about the refiner's fire and how Jesus didn't, he didn't call refinement anything but fire. 
Um, and when you have to refine fine metals, they have to go into enormous heat and they have to be put through enormous amounts of, of pressure and on hardness in order to become something beautiful. And that's how we're refined. It's, it's called the refiner's fire because it's painful. And, um, so pain, while it, it can be something that we want to avoid, or maybe we even feel like, oh, that would be so embarrassing for me. Um, if that happened, I would feel like I was out of control and that something I did was causing it. All of these things, are not part of what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying that whether you say yes or you say no, I'm going to refine you anyways. And if you come to the table and you, you come and you do it anyways, you, that's the grit that you need in order to continue this beautiful life with Jesus. And he is going to make it something beautiful. You know, when you said the refining fire, I was just thinking of the Old Testament story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Mm -hmm. and they're thrown into the fire, and uh, they're expected to incinerate as soon as they're in there. And yet the king looks inside the furnace, the king who's just thrown them into the furnace, and he sees the three men standing inside the fire not being consumed, and he sees a fourth person as well. And some people have speculated that, is that Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus, in that fire with them? I, I don't know, but I like to think of that story that way, because it's, so, it's, it, it's proven true through the life of Jesus and even what he's saying to his disciples about the rich young ruler. Jesus uh, is going to be with us in the fire. That, that sounds like very little comfort when you're under the heat. But what he says to the young man is, he, he, what he feels inside toward that young man is he has a genuine love for him. And that genuine love doesn't leave when that young man walks away. That genuine love is with him still. And I want to say to anyone who's, who can resonate with some aspect of Becky's story or my story today, that the genuine love of Jesus is going to be with you in the midst of whatever you're facing. This is why the impossible will become possible for you, is because you will carry with you the genuine love of Jesus. And even in Becky's story, the way that Jesus spoke to her in the midst of her fire was so gentle and tender. He was trying to tell her like it is, but he did it in such a tender and gentle way he was already communicating, I will be with you in gentleness and tenderness as you go through the heat. I will never leave your side. I will always be with you. And what I have, you'll have. What I have will sustain you through this. And in the end, the parable of the two sons tells us that Jesus is not daunted by our no, that what he really is looking at is whether in the midst of your no, you keep walking anyway. You keep, you keep attached to him anyway. You keep walking with him anyway. You can keep saying no, by the way, as you're holding on to his hand. Just You can keep saying no. That's fine. As long as you keep holding on to his hand. Just keep walking. That's all he cares about. You can say no as much as you want. As long as your actions say, I'm going to keep moving with you, Jesus. And we reach at some point at which... We are so convinced of his heart that we can't imagine actually saying no to him, that I'm going to stop now. I can't go with you any further. 
we reach some point where we realize we think, I don't know how I'm going to go on, but I know I can't go on alone without Jesus. So I guess I'm going to go on with Jesus. And that's and that's really Becky, your story and my story. All of us face this point where we say, I don't know how I'm going to go on, but I am going to go on with Jesus, and I'm going to see how He makes the impossible possible. So, gang, we'll see how this story threads its way um, forward. Um, Becky and I don't know. <laughs> we'll just follow the Spirit of Jesus into whatever this means. But I would crave for all of you listening, that you'd even pause right now and just advocate on Becky's behalf, that as she moves into the great unknown here and and is following Jesus into what she doesn't know, she would find uh, surprising comfort and expressions of genuine love along the way. Uh, And when the Spirit nudges you to, to pray for her in the weeks and months to come, please do stop and pray for her. And if you have your own story to share please do head over to the pigs page. You can, you can go to jesuscenteredlife.com and find our podcast section, by the way, and you'll find a little button there that, where you can be asked to be invited onto this private page. And if you haven't already gone there, please do. And, and if you'd like to share your story on there, it's a close community and a safe place to do that. And we do interact with, with the stories that are on there. So if you feel like you'd like to share your story too or respond to this story, please head on over there. Anything you want to say before we close Yeah, it off if you today? want to reach, if you are part of the Pigs page or you join, I still will be on there. And so you are welcome to reach out to me. And, you know, I'm always, always, always will, willing to, to talk to any of you. Well, gang, if you're looking for this podcast uh, on, on the JesusCenterLife.com, again, it is season three, episode three. And again, uh, it's called Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. Um, please do pass this along to uh, friends of yours who, who you think might be encouraged by this. This is a way that you can, in a very simple uh, way with, that, that doesn't take a great deal of courage, spread light and hope to people who need it most. So head over to the page, uh, copy in that link if you want, and send it off to people that you think uh, it might help. Now, again, this is a podcast from Lifetree, and you could subscribe to us on iTunes for all of our latest podcasts. And we're looking forward to talking to you again next time. Bye.